Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Dramatic pause. A dramatic pause says something without saying anything at all. Dramatic pause is a go-to for podcasters, presidents, and radio voiceovers. It makes you look really smart, even if you're not. Feet deserve a go-to like that. Like Hey Do Choose. Light, comfy, good to go to. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Fruit Loop Season 3, Episode 9. Thank you so much for listening! (laughs) Um, (laughs) Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. No, contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight white dudes. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers of color and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims, can't forget them, that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because, well, the news is racist, allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that. Our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And if you're not on Facebook, you can join the discussion on Twitter or Instagram by using the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. All of the footnotes for each episode, which articles and other media we use to source this story, the music notes and all that stuff can be found on our website. That's right. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. We also have some merch for sale on our website at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. And if you can't help monetarily, no problem. You can always give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And be sure to share our show with your friends. Yeah. So uh, who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Elroy Chester, and this is another case suggested by May or Miley. We still don't know how to pronounce it on Facebook. <laughs> Forgive us. <laughs> so two in a row. Way to go, May or Miley. <laughs> hey, there horn. So before we dive into the story, how you doing? I'm good. So I took an extra day off this holiday weekend. So I got a four day weekend. Mm -hmm. So I was able to get caught up on my work around the house and I started on my Halloween costume. That's right. I'm already working on my Halloween costume. Tell us what it is. I'm going to be a siren. Huh? Which is like... (laughs) 
<laughs> What's that? It's, it's it's like a mermaid, but evil. <laughs> you oh. never heard about sirens before? They're supposed to. It's like a a sailor myth. Uh, they're oh. supposed to sing, and the sailors can't resist, and then the sirens kill them. <laughs> oh, wow! That sounds lovely. No, well, I, yeah. I, I, I guess well, sirena in Spanish is mermaid, but siren oh, is yeah. an evil mermaid. Very cool. Yes. Well, that's exciting. Evil. Yep. <laughs> I was thinking about I was thinking about going as Toni Morrison. Oh yeah, so I have to yeah. Figure out how to turn my dreads gray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the late great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ever heard of her? <laughs> anyway, um, well, awesome. That sounds uh, fantastico. And uh, well, it was Labor Day weekend. Did you do any grilling? No. Did no. you go to a cookout? Did nope. anybody fix you a plate? Nope. Okay. No plates. Um, well, <laughs> I got a shout out to Labor Day weekend. This was this was a really fun weekend. And um, I actually wanted no part of any of it. Um, my husband had the last minute idea to go on vacation on Friday morning to drive to LA. Oh wow. Which is where we used to live and stuff. So we went to like a birthday right. party with a kid and I people were like, "What do you do for a living?" And I was like, "Well, I have this day job and then I'm also a podcaster." And then like this table of like all these like older people were like, "Whoa, can we subscribe?" So we got some we got some new fans. <laughs> Maybe they're listening now. <laughs> wow, um, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. I was like, it's not for everybody, but I sure hope you guys like it. <laughs> Good and luck then, and Godspeed. <laughs> yes, there we go. So they're either really going to love it or really going to hate it. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, we got some subscribers. And then let's see, we went to the beach. Um, and it was just so fun. Like the beach was super crowded, obviously, because it was a holiday weekend. But we brought our big ass speaker and we're listening to tunes, getting sand crabs, you know, and then um, we went out to eat. It was just it was just a really, really fun weekend. And it shout out to our fun. friends for their hospitality. So awesome. yeah, we had a fun weekend. So now we are going to get into some listener letters. Well, hello, angels. Hey. All right. OK, so what do we got in the mailbag? We got an email from Yana who said, Hi, I absolutely love your podcast and I'm so glad to see you all give so much careful consideration to people of color. So mm. thank you, Yana. Thank you. Hip Hop Air There we go. And then we got another email from Tashana who said, hello, I found your podcast about two months ago and I love the two of you. It's such an otherworldly juxtaposition to have two warm, cheery women discussing serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> but as a black woman, I want to thank you for making sure all of our stories get told. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Tashana. Yes. Thank you, yeah. sis. Shout out to all our black queens out there. Hey. Yeah. Um, so uh, I just got to say, so Beth and I, you know, we, we like had a meeting recently and um, we got a couple not good reviews on, on, IT, on iTunes and that's, that's okay. This show is not for everybody and that is totally cool. But um, to those of you who are positive, we just, we get more positive than we do negative. So yeah. we really, really appreciate y'all. Yes, we do. Um, Minerva slash Athena on Apple Podcasts. Uh, titled her review, Literally Obsessed. I found myself becoming a fan of true crime and recently even more than in the past. I was looking for a podcast to listen to when I was bored. Since I'm so interested in true crime and serial killers specifically, when I found this podcast, I clicked on it right away. I never intended to find a podcast tackling the issue of racism. And all I can say is, wow. At first, I was skeptical. Sure, sure. Many people are uh, thinking this was a reversed racism, which I'm going to have to talk to you guys about in a second. But it's really opened my eyes, she says. You two have amazing chemistry, and I found myself binging it consistently. Woo-woo! I find myself laughing and smiling, but terrified at the same time. <laughs> it's an amazing podcast, and definitely keep up the good work. I'm glad to see someone's opened the discussion in a new way. Love you, too. And guess what? Minerva slash Athena, we love you, too. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so before I uh, get into this uh, podcast, I wanted to talk that where we talk about true crime and people of color. True crime is difficult to talk about. It's also difficult to hear about. And race is the same way. Now, 
uh, our last review or last letter uh, mentioned reverse racism, which listen up close. It's not a thing. <laughs> it, it, it's, it doesn't, it's not a thing. It's impossible. There is no such thing as reverse racism. Now, what some people might argue that people of color can't be racist because of the idea that racism is a system in which, um, white people essentially created it. Race is a, is a, um, a, a social construct, but it's, it's made up, but they're the ones who benefit from it. They have the power. Yeah. They have the power. So um, some would argue that black people and people of color don't get to take advantage of any of that power. So it's not possible for people of color again to be, to be racist. Um, I personally think that I think everybody is, is capable of discrimination um, of some kind or um, acting on their um, implicit biases in some form or fashion. Um, but to say reverse racism, it's just, it's, it's not a thing. So stop using it. <laughs> um, I also wanted to say for the people who think that I'm racist, I am half African-American and I'm half uh, Latinx. My mom is from Central America. And again, I don't benefit by calling anyone a cracker. That's not going to hurt a white person's feelings. Um, but if I go in for a job or something and a manager thinks that I'm like some you know nigger bitch, then I don't get that job. And the point is, I think we can argue that everybody is capable of racism, but the most dangerous racism benefits one type of person and really hurts another type. And that's what I'll say about that. So get at me if you want to discuss later. <laughs> I agree. I mean, everybody is capable of racism, but the way the system is in our country, um, white people have the power and they're the ones who benefit from racism. Mm -hmm. And when you complain about something that a white person does, it's it's not racism to complain when somebody does something bad to you. It's just sure. like, these people are doing bad things to me. It's not racism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, oh gosh. I, I mean, it's just something that is, it's everywhere of every day. That's why my blood pressure is so high and I need to go on medication. But like people will like just touch me or just touch my hair or just touch my kids like we're not like zoo animals <laughs> you can't do and that that's like a, that's like I, in my opinion i do think that that is racist to just to just come well, up to it somebody violates and, and... your space for right, one thing right. that's not that's not cool <laughs> no no so um, yeah and they and they just don't I don't know. I think a lot of people don't think about it. They just don't think about it. I think it so too. Too deeply. I think you're yeah. Right. Well, hence Fruit Loops. Yeah. That's we're here, why to, we're here, here to set the record straight. Get people yes. to think about it. Yeah. Think about it and talk about it. And, and oh, also, we might not always say the right things, but yeah, reminder this is a safe space where we get to like discuss these things and. Um, you know, want you guys to engage with us too and let us know your thoughts. Again, we're not perfect, but this is a place where we can try to work these things out. So anyway. Yeah. And if you have any comments uh, about that or anything else, um, go ahead and be a part of the conversation on Facebook or Twitter at Fruit Loops Pod, or you can email us at fruitloopspod at gmail.com. Also, Wendy is not racist. <laughs> no, I am not. I love everybody. <laughs> I sure do hate racism, though. Anyway, yeah. uh, <laughs> so now we're going to take a quick ad break and then we're going to get into the story when we come back. We would like to invite any listeners who have a business to advertise to do it with us. For more information, please email us at fruitloopspod at gmail.com or check out our website at fruitloopspod.com. So now we're going to get into the subject. Who is our subject today, Beth? Today we're talking about Elroy Chester, who was convicted in 1998 of fatally shooting Willie Ryman III after Chester raped Ryman's two nieces. Oh, my God. Then he confessed to four other murders. DNA, which is Wendy's favorite, mm -hmm. was linked to three rapes, including that of, and this is sad, a 10-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. Chester said that he committed his crimes due to an intense hate for white people after an incident he had involving a white man. And I guess we could argue that that's racism. <laughs> I think I think we could argue and I would be happy to have um, a discussion about it. And, you know, maybe both things can be true. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, now we are going to get into the stats. My favorite part. Um, so Chester is classified as a robber and a rapist um, and murderer. <laughs> uh, his crimes <laughs> took place from August 1997 to 
February 1998. So his span of crimes was really like six months. Um, Mm -hmm. But he was wilding out. Uh, He was arrested in February 1998. Um, He was born in June 1968. Shout out to my Geminis, but this one is trash. Also, um, shout out to the products of the Great Migration. Uh, His victims were John Henry Cepeda, who was a 78-year-old man, Willie Ryman III, age unknown, um, Albert Bolden, uh, 35, who I understand was also his brother-in-law. Yep. Etta Mae Stalling was 87, and Cheryl DeLeon was 40. Um, His MO was shooting with a a .380 gun. I don't know if I'm referring to that properly, but it's period 380, okay? Uh, His crimes took place in Jefferson County, Texas, in the United States of America, and, um, well, now he's dead. (laughs) That nigga did. (laughs) So uh, now we're going to now we're going to dive into the setting. So um, what do you got, Beth? Take us there. The setting is Port Arthur, Texas, which was founded by Arthur Stilwell, who wanted to establish a railroad from Kansas City to the Gulf of Mexico. Port Arthur is, well, it's a port town located on the Gulf of Mexico on the southeastern side of Texas, bordering Mm -hmm. on Louisiana. And Janis Joplin was from Port Arthur. Oh, cool. Yeah. She described it as a town filled with bowling alleys, rednecks, and plumbers leading tacky lives. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? Port Arthur didn't like Janis either. So I think it was a hate-hate situation. Yeah. I know that she's talked about, well, I mean, she's not no longer with us, but how um, she didn't really fit in because, you know, she looked funny and she liked hanging out with Black people and, you know... Um, she just loved everybody, but not everybody loved her. So yeah, until yeah. later. Yep. So um, oil refining was the economic foundation of Port Arthur throughout the first half of the 20th century, with five refineries in the area, the first having been built in 1902. Ooh, not a great year for POCs. Anyway, employing approximately 12,000 workers, Port Arthur was an oil town with an oil town culture, brothels and gambling establishments operated in plain view while middle-class folks attended church regularly. So, you know, lots of hypocrisy. (laughs) And blacks lived strangely on the other side of the tracks. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Never heard that before. Right, right. And whites were against integration. Also something we never heard before. Mm -hmm. And when you can make more money working in oil without an education than you could with a college degree, education is not valued. But the industries in Port Arthur are increasingly mechanized and computerized, requiring fewer and fewer workers. And during the recession in 1985, unemployment in Port Arthur was at 25 percent, which is really big. Yeah. And unemployment is usually much higher for um, black people in the United yeah, States. So yeah. like, the the dude in the White House always talks about African unemployment is as low as it has ever been in America, but it's twice as much as white people. Right. Um, so yeah, it is low, but you know, context. Also, um, I wanted to talk about the other side of the tracks term. So when um, infrastructure uh, cities are built, um, city planners and mayors and people who make the laws, literally most cities have this line. It's either a road or a train um, that literally separates black people from everybody else. Yeah. So just look around your city. Pay attention. I mean, pay attention. Where's the freeway and where are the where are the black people in relation to all the other people? Where are the nice homes that weren't redlined in relation to the other ones? So just something to consider. Interesting. Uh, Port Arthur has the largest refinery complex in the whole country. But with it comes chemical manufacturing plants and high pollution. Um, Port Arthur also suffers high unemployment and poverty rates and higher than average cancer and asthma rates. In fact, the cancer mortality rate for African-Americans in Jefferson County, including the now predominantly black community of Port Arthur, is about 40% higher than Texas's overall cancer mortality rate. So there's that. Wow. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty staggering numbers. So now we're going to get into the killer's early life. All right, Beth. I can't wait. So Elroy Chester was born on June 14th in 1969, and he was the 15th of 16 children, eight of whom were stillborn or died in infancy. And Mm. I should say here that most of the information about his early life is from an essay written by Susan Orlansky, one of Chester's Mm -hmm. attorneys. And we'll link that uh, essay in our footnotes. Um, Really couldn't find a lot of information in other places. So we relied a lot on that. 
So anyway, Elroy mm-hmm. was named for his father, Leroy. Mm-hmm. His mother drank during her pregnancy. She was illiterate and signed forms with a simple X. She may have been intellectually disabled, and two of Chester's sisters are intellectually disabled. Mm. Well, I mean, if she drank during pregnancy, it's not surprising that she had right. so many stillbirths. Yeah. Um, plus, there's something to be said about infant mortality rates in um, African Americans and maternal mortality rates in the United States, right. like four times higher than than, um, yeah. than everybody else. But uh, I don't think that it is um, when I when I saw that she drank in excess, especially during her pregnancy, I wasn't really surprised by that for being a black woman in the United States at the time. Right. Um, given her situation, probably use substances to get by. Um, it's also not strange that at that time, um, a woman drank and smoked during pregnancy. I yeah. see Betty Draper. Um, <laughs> also, uh, Elroy's family was really poor and his father drank and beat his mother and was not regularly employed. So the family was, the dynamic was very unstable. Um, and the family at times had to get by without power or running water. When the Port Arthur schools gave Chester his first IQ test at the age of seven, he scored in the mentally retarded range. And I want to note here that we know the term mentally retarded is not the polite term, but it's the official term that was used back then. So we may, we are going to use it a few times in this episode. Mm -hmm. But as Wendy says, it's not because we're uninformed assholes. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Um, So from second grade on, Chester was in special education and his younger sister helped him with basic skills due to his intellectual disabilities chester was excused from taking the high school qualifying exam but he was allowed to graduate from high school but he was ranked last in his class essentially at number 317 and when i read that i thought you know beyonce has this line where she's like top two and i ain't number two but this guy could be like top 317 but i'm number 317 i don't know it was just it was it just popped into my head i'm sure it's insensitive and inappropriate but i just it came in my head just popped Sorry. in their head okay it just popped in there according to susan orlansky the school system's paperwork mislabeled chester as learning disabled and not mentally retarded a person is learning disabled if they have a normal or even above average iq but have difficulty mm-hmm. learning for one reason or another but chester's iq was not normal and he was not learning disabled so uh totally unrelated but um i throughout my life i've wondered if i have a little bit of dysgraphia or a little bit of dyslexia because sometimes i'll like write like i'll write the word fishing and i'll write ing first and oh. then write fi- fish in the beginning huh. and i've always done that and um my brother has been diagnosed with dysgraphia and um I just was thinking that like uh, in my job, I've had conversations with really, really successful people like surgeons who have dyslexia. And it's it really isn't a death sentence for a successful future. And I no, just it's not. Throw that out there. Yeah. 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 So after high school, Chester held only menial jobs, and most of them for only a short time. He had not been referred for formal vocational training because his teachers did not believe that he could be trained safely. It was at this time that Chester started getting into trouble. He was arrested for burglary just after he turned 18, and he was sent to prison. In prison, Chester scored 68 on the prison's IQ test, below the 70 cutoff used for diagnosing mental retardation. Wow. Well, he scored 57 on a test of adaptive functioning scored on the same scale. He was interviewed by a psychologist and social worker who noted he could only read small words, that he could not name all the months of the year, and he admitted using a friend to help him make decisions. He was observed by the staff of the prison's mentally, wow, this is a whole program, Mentally Retarded Offenders Program, or MROP, do better, guys, for 30 (laughs) days, and they uh, decided his behavior matched his test scores. In other words, he wasn't faking it, and he was admitted into the MROP program. But Chester was again mislabeled. The prison psychologist labeled him not mentally retarded, but borderline intellectual functioning, the category for people whose IQ is between 70 and 85. 
The director of the MROP was later appalled to discover that the erroneous label would be considered evidence that Chester was not intellectually disabled. As an adult, he never lived independently, but always lived with family who took care of him. He could not fill out a job application. Uh, He never had a bank account or a driver's license. He never shopped or cooked for himself on a regular basis. He never attained the adaptive functioning levels of an average adult. His school and prison records reflect scores consistently at or below the third grade level in reading and writing abilities. Hey, school to prison pipeline is real. I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the early years, his crime of choice was burglary. But in 1997, after he was released from prison, he broke into a house and stole a gun. Before, he tried to get into homes where no one was present. With the gun, he felt more powerful and he did not care. Okay, so now we're going to dive into the timeline. So on August 9th, 1997, Chester broke into the home of Desiree Johnson and sexually assaulted her 10-year-old daughter. One week later, Chester shot two individuals, including a 16-year-old boy, while attempting to burglarize his house. And the victims of these crimes did live, so... On September 20th, 1997, Chester used wire cutters to cut the phone lines to the Cepeda's home before entering it. He wore a ski mask and he carried a flashlight. Chester entered the bedroom where John Cepeda, 78, and his wife were sleeping, and he began to burglarize the bedroom while they slept. Cepeda woke up and Chester shot and killed him. Before fleeing, he demanded that Cepeda's wife give him the ring that she was wearing. What a terrifying ordeal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, on 11-15, November 15th, 1997, he similarly burglarized Etta Stallings' home while she and her husband were sleeping. He again wore a ski mask, carried a gun, and a flashlight. He staked out the home beforehand to see who was there and cut the phone lines outside before breaking into the home. This is one of my worst nightmares. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, man. He attempted to burglarize the home while Stallings and her husband were asleep, but Stallings woke up. She pulled a gun out of her dresser drawer and Chester shot her, killing her. Mm. She was 87. Wow. Chester then took the property that he had stolen, as well as Stallings' gun, and stashed it all under a nearby vacant house. Five days later, on November 20th, 1997, Chester was waiting for a former co-worker, Cheryl DeLeon, who was 40, to come home. Chester knew DeLeon because they had worked together at a local Luby's restaurant for 11 months in 1992. He would often sexually harass her and she would complain about it to their boss. Chester was again wearing a mask, carrying a gun, and he wore gloves. This time he had unscrewed the light bulb illuminating a storage shed near the back door of her house. He laid down on the ground by the storage shed and waited until DeLeon's car pulled into the driveway. So I'm just thinking he had a learning disability or was compromised mentally, but I mean, he's smart enough to undo the light bulb and to to wait, to lie in wait for these people. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, that all comes up in the trial later. Okay. So he um, went to prison for a while. And they say in prison is where you like learn how to be a better criminal. Oh, yeah. And did you know one out of six couples struggle with infertility, including old Whitey and me? Seriously, that is a staggering statistic yeah. that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies, especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com fruit, you can get $20 off your test. Also, and this is really cool, mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards Modern Fertility. Wow! 
Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, if you want kids today or in the future, never or are undecided, it's important to have clinically sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That's modernfertility.com fruit. Today's episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. It was a night like any other. We just finished a live show of the podcast at Madison Square Garden. It was nice to see Megan and Harry. You know, so nice of them to come. And then we told the pilot, hey, gas up the PJ. We out of here. Wait, gas up the PJ? Megan and Harry? <laughs> Just go with it, okay? Okay, okay. So, Wendy, we gassed up the PJ, and then what? Well, <laughs> while we were on the PJ, that's private jet for regular folks. I was wondering. We, we were up in the clouds, scoring some quality time with Best Fiends. It was incredible. And the good news is, I'm on level 393. Right on. <laughs> yes, it sounds incredible. But if mm -hmm. your head's in the clouds like Wendy, in an imaginary <laughs> private jet with Megan and Harry, or your feet are firmly planted on the ground, ground at work or in line at the grocery store. One thing is true. Best Fiends is just plain fun. Mm, it is true. Now, Best Fiends is a free to download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. There are dozens of unique fiends to collect so you can customize your team of fiends to defeat the menacing slugs. I'm sorry. I was just looking at this funny text from Harry. Anyway, power up your favorite fiends to new levels for even more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. With offline play, Wendy's favorite, you'll mm -hmm. never be stranded without fun, even if you lose your internet connection. Download your favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. What it sounds like kind of yeah. happened. Like, yeah. he must have been schooled in the joint. As De Leon got out of her car and walked up to her back door, Chester ran up and grabbed her. They struggled, she screamed, and he hit her in the side of the head with the gun. According to Chester, the gun went off accidentally when he hit her with it, shooting her dead. Chester then fled to his father's home, where he hid the gun in the attic. On December 7th, 1997, Chester shot Lorenzo Coronado in the head as he lay sleeping on the ground and then took his wallet. Coronado lived. Mm. On December 21st, 1997, Chester murdered his brother-in-law, Albert Bolden, 35. Chester invited Bolden to commit a burglary with him and brought him to a vacant home that he knew of in Port Arthur. Chester directed Bolden to walk through the door first and then shot him in the back of the head. Wow, ruthless. Mm -hmm. Chester then fled the scene and hid the gun. Chester later gave police two reasons for why he killed Bolden. Number one, for beating his sister, and two, for setting him up on a date with somebody who turned out to be trans. Come on. That's pretty <laughs> shitty. Not cool for anybody involved. Right. And that's that's why life for especially black trans women is really, really dangerous. Yeah. Because dudes like Chester are so embarrassed or afraid of the idea that um, they might be with somebody who is, quote unquote, was born a dude or, you know, yeah. but is now living person and they are offended at being fooled yeah and I, i'm sure that happens um i would i don't know about a lot but it, it happens probably more frequently than it should well it should never happen i don't know <laughs> i don't right. know what i'm saying well, it's well, just there, it, <laughs> it's unfortunate <laughs> it really is it really is sad so yeah if, if you have trans people in your life look out for them make sure they're okay and yeah. make sure that they're safe yeah. but um there was one dude who was um uh, um, trending on Twitter last week and he was dating a trans black woman and he was very proud of her and he loved her very much Aww. but some people people were just attacking him in the street Ugh. for being with her oh they were attacking him online and he killed himself oh my I think God. it was ha Reese, hashtag RIP Reese I think was the oh, hashtag but anyway it's yeah it this happened in 1997 and now it's 2019 so and this shit is still happening yeah, yeah, yeah. So on to on to yeah. Well, yeah. on to more cheerful stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Here comes the big one. <laughs> on February 6, nineteen ninety eight, Chester, then twenty eight, was walking through a Port Arthur neighborhood, searching for a house to burglarize. He had with him a pair of gloves, a ski mask, wire cutters, and a gun. 
That night, Erin DeLeon, who was 17, was at home alone with her one-year-old son, Tony. They lived with Erin's mother, Kim DeLeon, and Erin's sisters, Claire and Sasha. After Erin put Tony to bed, she spoke briefly on the phone with her boyfriend and then began watching a movie in the living room. Chester watched Erin through the open blinds, and seeing that she was alone, he went around to the side of the house, cut the telephone wires, and tampered with the security light between the garage and the house. He checked the side door, and finding it unlocked, he put on his mask and gloves and entered the house. So quoting Erin in the TV series, I Survived, I didn't hear anything until the door opened, and there was a gentleman standing there with a mask on his face. He pointed a gun at my face, and he said, I bet you wish you'd lock the door, don't you? Whoa. What a monster. Yeah. He then grabbed Erin by her ponytail, held the gun to her head, and demanded money and jewelry. She told Chester that she had a baby who was sleeping and could they please be quiet so the baby would not wake up. He agreed. Erin's biggest fear was that Tony would wake up and begin crying and the man would do the easiest thing to quiet a crying baby and kill him. Hmm. Still holding uh, her by the hair, Chester led Aaron around the house to confirm that no one else was home. He then took jewelry from her mother's room and from Aaron's room, where he made Aaron turn on the light to look for valuables, even though Tony was sleeping in there. Oh, my God, that's funny. When Aaron's sister, Claire, who was 14, arrived home from a date with her boyfriend, Tim, she thought it was strange that all the lights in the house were off except for where her nephew was sleeping. So she asked Tim to wait in the car while she checked out the situation and she would come right back. Aaron met Claire at the door and told Claire to come in. Claire saw that Aaron was not acting normally and looked scared. She then saw the gun at her head. Chester told Claire, come inside or I'll blow this bitch's head off. Claire went inside and began babbling and crying. Aaron tried to calm her down. Tim, who had been waiting for Claire to come back and tell him that everything was okay, approached the house and knocked on the door. Chester ordered Claire to tell him nothing was wrong and that he should leave. Claire tried to comply, but she was very scared, and Tim could tell that something was wrong. Chester then ordered Tim inside. Still holding Aaron by her ponytail, Chester demanded jewelry and money from Claire and Tim. They said they had none, and Tim showed him his empty wallet. Chester then ordered Claire and Tim into the bathroom, alone with Aaron in the dining room. Chester ordered her to remove her clothing, which she did. He then used duct tape to blindfold her. Chester called for Tim to come out of the bathroom, and he made Tim remove all of his clothing except for his underwear and socks. He blindfolded Tim with the duct tape and also bound his wrists and ankles. Then he dragged Tim into Aaron's bedroom. But why, sir? Next, (laughs) Chester returned to the dining room and ordered Claire to come out of the bathroom. She removed her clothes as he ordered. He then blindfolded her with duct tape and told her to lay down next to her sister. The sisters held hands and began reciting the Lord's Prayer. Chester kicked Claire in the side and told them to shut up. Chester told Aaron to get up and walk away from Claire. Then he made her lie down again. He then raped her. Chester turned to Claire and because she told him that she was menstruating, made her perform oral sex on him. With both girls, Chester held the gun to their heads and threatened to blow your head off if they resisted. Mm. Uh, At this point, Kim DeLeon's brother, William Ryman, a decorated firefighter, drove up. Ryman, the girl's uncle, Billy, frequently came over to the house to check on his nieces when their mother was at work. Kim was also a firefighter and often worked the night shift. Chester dressed himself, ran into the kitchen, and waited by the door. When Ryman, who was a big man, came inside, Chester shot him and Ryman fell to the ground. And I think uh, most likely when Chester saw him, because he was a big guy, he determined that he would not be able to subdue him, so he just shot him. Mm. Chester began yelling at him, is there anyone in your car? But Ryman either couldn't or wouldn't answer. Claire asked Chester, why don't you go check? Chester then left the house to check, but when he tried to come back inside, he couldn't because Claire had locked the door. You go, girl. Uh, He began pounding on the door and demanding to be let in. Yeah, and when I watched the show called I Survived and they covered this case and at that part, I I teared up. They... Yeah. Just yeah. Uh, th- they were telling the story about how Claire, who's 14 years old, had the mm-hmm. sense to tell him to go check and then lock the door. Yeah. 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 Right on. So hip hop air horns to you, Claire. Here we go. 
There we go. <laughs> Both girls and Tim ripped off the duct tape and got dressed. Aaron went to her mother's room where a gun was hidden under the mattress, which she had been afraid to try to get previously. Claire grabbed baby Tony. They attempted to call the police, but there was no dial tone because Chester had cut the line earlier. So the trio took baby Tony and hid in the attic. Ryman's girlfriend, uh, Marcia Sharp, was waiting in Ryman's truck in the driveway. She heard a loud pop, but thought perhaps it was a car backfiring. Moments later, she, sh she saw Chester run out of the house and then try to go back in. Chester then ran toward the passenger side of the truck. Sharp locked it just as Chester reached for the handle. <sighs> Yeah. Still wearing his mask, he shot once at the lock on the car door. He then ran over to the driver's side door and Sharp quickly reached over and locked that door too. Chester shot twice at the lock on the driver's side, but it did not open. He then stepped back, looked at Sharp and fired twice through the driver's window. <gasps> she was not hit, thankfully, and Chester ran down the street. So when Tim and Aaron and Claire decided it was safe, Tim and Claire took Tim's car and drove to the police station while Aaron stayed with baby Tony and her uncle Billy. She stayed with Billy holding his hand until he died. Oh, man. And when, yeah. then she took Tony and ran to the neighbor's house. Not sure what Marsha Sharp was doing. I, I'm not sure what she was doing. Um, if she just was hunkering down in the car, if she drove off. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, none of the articles or court papers or anything that I read said anything about what she was doing. Or what happened to her after Yeah, that. yeah. Um, but she wasn't hit, so that's good. She She did survive. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. So hit it, Beth. It's not clear to me how police found Chester. Uh, none of the articles that I read mentioned it, which is weird. But he was on parole at the time. And Port Arthur police had recognized that the series of recent burglaries, assaults, rapes and murders in the Port Arthur area shared a similar M.O., so he may have been on their radar, but in any case, he was taken in and arrested. After his arrest, Chester confessed to the crimes and offered to take police to his father's house to get the gun that he used. Five investigators accompanied Chester to his father's house. Chester insisted that it was well hidden in a place that only he could reach and assured them it was not loaded. Upon entering the house, Chester kept attempting to move ahead of the investigators, and when he led them to where the gun was hidden, he tried to get to it first, presumably to shoot them. But he was stopped, mm. the gun was retrieved, and guess what? What? It was loaded. Oh, shit. <laughs> By the way, this is the most suspenseful case we've done in a long time. Yeah, it and is. It's just... <laughs> Like, whew. Whew. Okay. So, oh boy. Okay. While in custody, Chester confessed to the four other murders over the preceding six months. Chester also confessed to four other non-fatal shootings and to anally raping a 10-year-old girl. Uh, according to the Texas Attorney General's office, he burglarized a total of 25 homes in the year preceding the Ryman's murder. Chester claimed that he committed these offenses because he was out of his mind with hate for white people due to a disagreement with a white staff member over a disciplinary report during a previous incarceration. I mean, come on, talk to your pastor. Has, has to be on the prayer list. Um, <laughs> don't just don't go know. around what shooting white you? folks. <laughs> come on, that's wild. So now we're going to get into the trial. So on February 12, 1998, Chester was indicted in Jefferson County, Texas, for the capital murder of Willie Billy Ryman. Chester pleaded guilty to capital murder, but Texas law requires that a jury decide punishment in a case in which death is a possible penalty. This is called the punishment phase. Chester had a court-appointed lawyer, but Chester did not have a good relationship with him and didn't want to listen to him. So Arizona also has a punishment phase or penalty phase. Mm, didn't know that. Yeah, they do. So in the penalty phase, the only issue for the jury to decide was whether he should be sentenced to death or to life in prison. In 1998, mental retardation was not an exemption from the death penalty. That came later in 2002. That seems crazy to me. Yeah. To try to persuade the jury to spare Chester's life, his lawyer presented a psychologist who had evaluated Chester and who testified that Chester was mentally, our word, retarded. But Chester instructed his lawyer not to call any other witnesses on his behalf. But sir... <laughs> 
During his trial, Chester was really on one, and against the advice of his attorneys, he testified on his own behalf. He gave a frightening and rambling rant and threatened the jury with imaginary homeboys. Wow. Yeah, they usually usually defense attorneys don't want their client to testify on their own behalf because then they can get destroyed on cross-examination. Yeah. And things don't usually turn out so well in those cases. Yeah, so, that's true. Um, yeah. So, uh, by the way, I, I I was just thinking about him being like, yeah, my homeboys are going to come and like fuck all you guys up. <laughs> and, you know, like you're down to disagreement and you mentioned that like your friends or your homeboys, Pookie's going to come and like defend my honor or whatever. So, uh, Anyway, it just it didn't seem totally far fetched for him to do that in trial. Yeah, but uh, yeah. given his IQ, yeah. <laughs> yes, and that reminds me of that scene or what really happened to Corey, uh, one of the exonerated five, and he um, he I think has a learning disability, and he's also uh, has like a, a little bit of hearing impairment. Okay, so he talks a little funny when he was under on uh, you know on trial for the um rape and attempted murder of that white lady he didn't know he 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 lost it in 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 the um courtroom because um he i don't know if he fully understood what they were doing to him at the time and he was scared so he went out and at that age you you don't even understand a courtroom you know right yeah yeah i i think a courtroom is a very strange place. There's all these weird rules and like, it's so formal and children do not understand that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah. somebody who again, mentally might be, might be compromised or cognitively might react the way a child would, right, just, right. you know, lashing out. So Chester also testified that his 10 year old rape victim was lucky to be alive. Oh my God. That is uh, that if he had known one of his rape victims was only 10 years old, he would have raped the mother instead. Fuck you. He expressed regret that he did not kill the DeLeons, including the baby. Uh, Chester ended his testimony by saying that burglarizing homes was a whole lot of fun, quote unquote. So not a sympathetic character in any form or fashion. Yeah. And at one point, Chester declared, if I hadn't shot my brother-in-law, I'd still be out there shooting white folks. Oh, okay. Well, um... I was going to say welcome to Culture Corner with Wendy and Beth. As a black person, I can certainly understand why he may have felt this way. But I can also understand how a white person who, quote unquote, at least in their minds, has never been racist or said the N-word or been violent or lit a cross on somebody's front lawn might never believe that they have done anything racist or that they are not racist. Allow me to explain, as I did in the beginning of the episode, racism doesn't always, especially now, involve white hoods and burning crosses. It is in the boardroom. It's in the postal system. It's in the classroom. Uh, you know, um, it's in everything. It's it's everywhere. And white supremacy and racism are just everywhere, every minute of every day. And so, um, yeah, it could stress somebody out. But most black people aren't just out here. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it can cause a lot of anger, of course, and yeah. Um, yeah, and angst, angst, yeah, and yeah. The the proper response is not to go out there shooting white folks. Asked to be on the fire list. Can certainly understand the anger. I'm not like dismissing what he has done. I'm just I'm just conveying why he might have felt that way, not um, condoning his actions. Yeah, and I also wonder if he he meant any of those things. I I don't know. Um, you know, he might have just, yeah, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. you know how maybe kids do when they're angry and they're like, I hate you, you know, (laughs) did I I ever tell you the story about my daughter telling me that she hated me? (laughs) No, did you cry? What happened? No, (laughs) I didn't cry. Kids say they hate, they don't mean it. I knew she didn't mean it. So she said, I hate you. Oh. And I said, I don't think you hate me. I think you're just really angry right now. And she said, no, I really hate you. <laughs> oh, she doubled down. Yeah, she doubled wow. down. <laughs> well, I was just like, I was trying really hard not to laugh. because. Oh, I, how old was she? Was she little? Enough? Oh, she was little. Yeah. I don't remember how old she was, maybe six or something, you know, but I knew she didn't hate me. You know, kids just, they confuse anger with hate, you know, so every time they get oh. angry, they, they hate you, but they don't mean it because, yeah. you know, then when they're not angry anymore, they love you. So yeah, they just don't right. understand emotion at that age. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes total sense. Yeah. 
So the prosecutor <laughs> didn't present any witness to testify that Chester was not mentally retarded. He just called police and victims and families of victims to describe all of Chester's crimes. On August 24th, 1998, a death sentence was imposed by the trial court. It took 11 and a half minutes to give him the, the death penalty. So if a jury comes back really fast, usually the defense is like, eh, we're going to lose. Yep. In 2002, the Supreme Court decided that it was cruel and unusual punishment to execute a mentally, I'm not going to say that word anymore, but a mentally compromised individual. Do we know if the Supreme Court actually used words mentally retarded? Uh, they did. Up until 2014. Okay. Then they, okay. Well, uh, Chester had one year from the decision to go back to the state courts and argue that he was mentally, uh, our word, (laughs) not my word, mentally our word and ineligible to be executed. But Texas did not have to provide him a lawyer to present this argument. At that time, Susan Orlansky, an attorney in Anchorage, Alaska, read an article that suggested that lawyers in non-death penalty states should offer to help represent defendants in death penalty states that don't appoint counsel for post-conviction claims. She spoke to her law partner, and they settled on Elroy Chester's case because of the mental retardation claim. But the court had determined that he had a learning disability and not a mental impairment in part due to the mislabeling of his school and prison records. The state also argued that the Supreme Court let the states design procedures for determining mental impairment, and Texas could impose a definition of mental R-word that takes into consideration factors beyond those relied upon by medical experts. Texas used what they called Briseño factors to determine mental R-word. According to an article on the American Association on Intellectual and Developmental Diseases, the Briseño factors were crafted by the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals in 2004 using a stereotyped view of intellectual disability and based on the character of Lenny in John Steinbeck's novella of Mice and Men. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Thanks, Beth. (laughs) Um, The court pointed out that Chester took steps to avoid detection. Yeah. And that he acted independently rather than as an accomplice. It found that Chester could lie and hide facts to protect himself. The Briseño factors allowed the state to use regular people who had contact with the defendant to controvert expert opinions. Wow. So junk, like junk science. Yeah. Usually (laughs) an an expert. If you're a regular schmegular degular person is going to um refute a true expert basically what they allowed them to do was um like take people who knew chester like the next door neighbor yeah and then have them on the stand and be like well what do you think and they're like well i have a a cousin who is intellectually disabled and he's nothing like my cousin so he's he's not and then they you know, that was their, their proof. Wow. That is problematic. I mean, not saying he didn't do these things. He obviously admitted to it, but it just, it's, it's, um, it seems lacking. Yes, I Uh, agree. According to Susan Orlansky in an essay that she penned for Unitarian Universalists for Alternatives to the Death Penalty, it is only a slight exaggeration to say that under Texas's definition, if a person can carry out a horrible crime, He's not mentally retarded enough to be spared execution. The Supreme Court declined to accept Chester's appeal. Okay, now we're going to get into where they are now. So uh, he is D-E-A-D, dead. Chester was executed by lethal injection on the 12th of June, 2013 in Huntsville, Texas. Texas no longer offers a special, quote, last meal to condemned inmates, which just doesn't seem very nice to me. Mm-hmm. Instead, the inmate is offered the same meal served to the rest of the unit. And it should be noted that um, people of color in general in the United States get stiffer sentences and are actually more likely to get the death penalty more than a white convicted person. Yeah. In his last statement, Chester said, I just want to say I don't want you to have hate in your heart for me because I took your loved one. I know it doesn't mean anything. I told the truth because I feel like you should know who killed your loved one. God watches everything. Don't hate me. I'm sorry for taking your loved one. So, okay. So he was in prison. He was on death row for like 10 years and uh, developed remorse. Yeah. Um, After thanking his lawyer, Chester concluded his confession. Elroy Chester wasn't a bad man. I knew me, he said. A lot of people say I didn't commit those murders. I really did. 
That's my statement, Morden. You can go ahead now. And a lethal injection was then started. He was pronounced dead at 7.04 p.m. On March 28, 2017, in a 5-3 to three decision, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in favor of the plaintiff in the case of Moore versus Texas. At issue in this case was Texas's use of the Briseño factors rather than contemporary clinical diagnostic guidance. During oral arguments, Elena Kagan commented, the Court of Criminal Appeals said the clinical standards are too subjective and don't re- reflect what Texans think. Briseño makes it very clear that you're supposed to rely on what the neighbor said and what the teacher with absolutely no experience with respect to intellectual disability said. In both the majority decision and in the dissent, the Supreme Court justices unanimously agreed that the non-scientific factors applied by Texas were inappropriate for the determination of intellectual disability. They got it right. Finally. Yeah, finally. So now we're going to get into uh, what made him or her snap, as well as our takeaways. So hit it, Ben. So he was poor and intellectually disabled. He had the cognitive function of a third grader, but he was in an adult's body. He was not given any skills to function in our society. And I think the system failed him. He was graduated from high school and sent on his way. But it sounds like he was not referred to any social services that might have helped him. His family was not really in a position to give him any meaningful help. So he was basically an eight or nine year old sent out to figure out how to live. The state argued that he was not intellectually disabled because he figured out how to commit these crimes and how to lie about it. But what third grader doesn't know how to do something wrong and then lie about it? Um, That's not to downplay his crimes, which uh, were horrendous. I just wonder if they were avoidable had Chester been given the help he clearly needed, especially earlier on, before prison and in prison. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, the school to prison pipeline. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think this is a good example of it. Yeah. Because I agree with you. Maybe maybe if there had been an intervention of services um, to help him and his family provide him with um, as much support as possible so that he could essentially um, take care of himself. And uh, he was failed. (laughs) This is a familiar story where um, they start out as a thief and then things just escalate escalate, um, to eventually murder. And I was just thinking about how those systems did fail him. And we know that uh, crepe is rape is a crepe. Crepes. (laughs) Would you like some crepes? We know. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. We know that uh, rape is a crime of power, not about sex. Um, I also think that, um, I don't know, what the fuck do I know? So, you, you rape someone, murder, no big deal. Like the, the world is just, this 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 case was really horrific. Yeah. That's all I can say. I don't know what else to say. Just yeah. horrifying the things that he did to these people. And just can you imagine somebody coming up to your front door with a ski mask? Yeah. You know, or having your baby in the next room or that poor little 10 year old girl. I just I just I feel for all of the victims. Yeah. And uh, that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, it was a really uh, rough, rough case to um, research, too. And Mm -hmm. Um, I kept thinking about his intellectual disability and, but then his crimes, like I I would have sympathy for him as a child and, um, a teenager with his intellectual disability, but then I would be horrified by his crimes that he committed later on. It was, it was a tough one. Yeah. Agreed. So now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. That's right. So uh, this murder was horrifying, but there could be a murderer in your midst. To be safe, um, we all should look into self-defense. 
So like a class, um, there are also some really good YouTube videos. And I just um, today found the hashtag self-defense on Instagram. Oh, cool. And there are like tons of videos that come up and tips and stuff. Very cool. Um, and then we just had another mass shooting um, in Texas. And uh, I don't know if they're ever going to stop. So we, I feel like, should prepare ourselves um, by um, keeping our head on a swivel and familiarizing ourselves with first aid, um, CPR, how to do a tourniquet, things like that. Because um, you never know when you might end up in the same area as a mass shooter. So that's all I got. That's a great idea. I like that idea. Thank you. So now we're going to get into some uh, serial killer and true crime news. And it looks like Beth's got a, well, go ahead, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> So as you mentioned, there was another shooting in Texas on August 31st in Odessa. Seth Ator began spraying the roads with bullets after police pulled him over for failing to use his signal. He killed seven people and wounded 22 others before authorities rammed the hijacked mail truck he was driving and gunned him down. The 36-year-old had been fired from his job hours before the massacre began. Those who were killed ranged from 15 to 57 years old. A 17-month-old girl and three law enforcement officers were also among the injured. The latest shooting took place hours after a series of firearms laws that loosened gun restrictions went into effect in Texas, included our mm. laws that allow weapons on school grounds, apartments, and places of worship. I saw that on the news. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I, like, ugh. It's ass backwards, yep. guys. Yeah. <laughs> More than 40 people have died in the four shootings in Texas, Ohio, and California since July. Mm. It's part of a trend the FBI says is getting worse every year. The agency has conducted a study on all active shooters who they defined as an individual actively engaged in killing or attempting to kill people in a populated area between 2000 and 2018 and found, surprise, the numbers keep increasing. Yeah, we all know and sense it yeah. and, and, and see it on the news oh, yeah. Yeah. daily. So, oh, I mean. yeah. Um, okay, so now we are going to get into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by people of color, about people of color, any marginalized groups or any true crime goodies. <laughs> so um, I just had to, st had to shout out this out because I've watched it three times now. Dave Chappelle's show on um, his new Netflix special. I think it's called Sticks and Stones. And some people might be pissed about like what he says during it, but it was just so, so funny. This is his best special oh, wow. yet. Wow. Um, and he talks about everything. Like he has this one joke where uh, he talks about, he opens up with a joke about Anthony Bourdain, how Anthony Bourdain killed himself. Uh -huh. And he, how Anthony Bourdain had like the best job in the whole world. He got to travel all across the world, eat delicious meals with fantastic people. And then he talks about his black friend from the hood who had like, uh, things were going okay, but then things got really bad for him. And he never once thought about killing himself. Yeah. And, um, I think we find um, that statistically that white people, um, I think, commit suicide at a higher rate than people of color do. So I just thought it was um, interesting. interesting. And, and don't fact check me on that stat. But anyway, Dave Chappelle's. <laughs> oh, I'm going to fact check you on that. <laughs> <laughs> As we mentioned, I, we are unqualified. So, uh, but uh, yeah, so watch that special because it's really good. So, have you seen the special? I haven't, but I'm gonna have to check it out because I loved his show back in the day. It is so funny. <laughs> it is so funny. Yeah, that was good too. But this is better. I just laughed just thinking about his show. <laughs> <laughs> Chappelle's show. Ow! Um, so, where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod, And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone, or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod. 
or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. That's right. Uh, also, you should know that this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.